Who is Jesus? Secular history and all the major religions of the world agree he existed, but they have very different answers as to who he is. If someone asked you, who is Jesus, how would you answer? In our podcast today, we'll look at the history that verifies his existence and in contrast, the beliefs about him that have no basis in history or the Bible. All of this is to help you answer that most important question of all time and eternity, who do you think Jesus is? Be sure to check out the notes and links to the video of this podcast at www.bible805.com. Our lesson for today is, Who is Jesus Really? Answers from History, Other Religions, and the Bible. I'm Yvonne Pran, your teacher. Our view of Jesus is really what defines us. Karl Barth said, Show me your Christology, and I will tell you who you are. If our view of Jesus defines us, and Christians believe that view has serious implications for life now and forever, there certainly are many options to define us in that way. These range from saying he was a myth, to a good man, an ethical teacher, all the way to God in human flesh and the only Savior. In addition, Christianity isn't the only religion that acknowledges that he existed. Hinduism, Buddhists, all the Eastern religions, Islam and the Mormons, all of these have a place for Jesus in their religion. However, for the Christian, he isn't just part of their religion. For the Christian, he is everything. Here is how a verse in the Bible sums it up. Christ, actually it's a series of verses, Christ is the exact likeness of the unseen God. He existed before God made anything at all, and in fact, Christ himself is the creator who made everything in heaven and earth, the things we can see and the things we can't. All were made by Christ for his own use and glory. He was before all else began, and it is his power that holds everything together. He is the head of the body made up of his people, that is the church, which he began, and he is the leader of all who arise from the dead, so that he is first in everything, for God wanted all of himself to be in his son. It was through what his son did that God cleared a path for everyone to come to him, all things in heaven and on earth, for Christ's death on the cross had made peace with God has made peace with God for all by his blood. That's Colossians 1 15 through 20. Now, not only does the Bible affirm that about Jesus for Christians, but also we have an affirmation in something called the Nicene Creed, and you may have heard this in your church. Now, what the creeds are, and this is important if you're not familiar with them, they're statements that summarize important beliefs in the church, and this is one of the earliest creeds. It came from the First Council of Nicaea, that's why we call it the Nicene Creed, obviously. It was in 325, and though it's been slightly revised over time, it's still a creed that is affirmed by all parts of the Christian community, Protestant, Catholic, Orthodox. It's one of the few things that all of them agree on. Now, this council was really important, and it's important for our lesson today also, because it met to clearly define who is Jesus. There was a a little bit of controversy, well, actually quite a bit of controversy at the time. It was called the Arian Controversy. And this gentleman named Arius, he went around saying that, well, you know, Jesus was a really good person, but he wasn't God from all eternity. And one of the things that, unless you really the study study the history on it that you, you don't know about Arius, is the way he let people know about it. He came up with these catchy little jingles, uh, sort of maybe like the TikTok of his day, where people uh, learned about his his little funny sayings but it led them astray in their theology and it became such a huge issue that they actually called the first count church council to discuss it and the council's task was is Jesus just 
someone good that was created later? Or is he an eternally existing third person of the Trinity? This is a question that people still ask today, and their conclusion is very important because it defines what Christians believe about Jesus, and also what's important is what they believe from some of the earliest days of the church. Now, I'm going to read it to you in just a minute, but instead of trying to remember it or whatever, on the www.bible805 website, I have a copy of it. I've also made it into a little flyer on my church communications website that you can download for Christmas because I I'm also made up a little flyer that says it's the reason for the season. But that aside, let me read you the Nicene Creed. Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, God from God, light from light, through him all things were made. For us man and for our salvation, he came down from heaven and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. Now, why is it that Christians affirm these extraordinary things about Jesus? It is not blind, unthinking faith. Well, it might be for a few people, but most people have really thought about it. And thoughtful Christians believe that these things about Jesus are true based on what we read in the Bible and how that is verified through history. Now, if you haven't taken the time to explore the historical reality of the Christian faith, whether you are a believer or just someone who is looking at the faith, you owe it to yourself to check that out. And that's what we're going to do now. Now, let me just say that, and I'll be bringing this up a number of times, so forgive me if I repeat myself. I not only will be doing it in an overview way during this lesson, but on the Bible 805, www.bible805.com site, I have links to podcasts, to blogs, to a YouTube channel that goes into much more detail on all of this. So this isn't just a one-time thing for you. But let me now talk about why we believe the Bible is the true record of Jesus' life. Again, please do listen to the previous podcast where I talk about how I define truth in great detail and why we can trust the Bible and history. But let me briefly tell you what I say in a whole series of lessons. First of all, truth is that which agrees with reality. It's what really happened. Truth isn't something that we just want it to be. No, it's something that really happened. Now, how do we know what really happened in the past? That is where the tools of history help us. And I share in my past podcast how I do have a master's degree in in history, specializing in the history of the church, because I wanted an answer to this. I was raised in a Christian home, but I didn't know as I got older if, if I could really trust it. So I studied history at a secular university. It gave me the tools to really explore my faith and I came out of it much much stronger in it because archaeology, coins, artifacts, other writings, the tangible touchable evidence helped me really understand the reality of what I had been taught. Now also part of that reality is the reliability of the texts of the Bible, the historicity of those texts, and the manuscripts, the manuscript evidence that we have is absolutely fantastic. We have massive amounts of textual support. We have more manuscripts than any other ancient text, and they all agree with the exception of little tiny like grammatical errors and stuff like that over time, no major doctrine has changed. And some people will say, well, oh, you know, the Bible's changed so many times it was copied and recopied and it isn't anything like what it was originally. That's just absolutely not true. People that say that, they just don't know their history. The Dead Sea Scrolls, which most everybody's heard about, but they don't really know why they're such a big deal. Well, they are great evidence to that fact. You see, the Dead Sea Scrolls were written, well, we don't know exactly when some of them were written, but they were put into the caves 
um, just prior to the Christian era, uh, somewhere around the time of the birth of Christ or shortly thereafter, anyway, these um, scrolls were hidden in these caves, but they weren't discovered, rediscovered, until the 20th century, really not that long ago. And what is amazing about them is when we look at them, and we've had 2,000 years of recopying and recopying and recopying, they're basically exactly the same thing. And this was an absolutely astounding discovery and evidence of how careful the scribes were as they copied the manuscripts. So we know now, beyond a shadow of a doubt, though we've had tons of other evidence on this, that what the Bible said in the past is the same thing that our Bibles say today. There is no objective scholarly basis for this idea that the texts have been corrupted. There just isn't. Again, I go into much, much more detail on this in other podcasts and videos that are linked to at Bible805.com. They're all free. They're all ready for you to look at, download, whatever, so do check them out. Now, based on the reliability of the textual documents, scholars believe that they're credible records of what actually happened. Now, the implications and the application of the historical life of Jesus, that's up to individual acceptance. We can say, well, according to these documents that are true biographies of a man who lived at the first century, we know that we can trust the documents, but what you believe about them, that's up to you. Um, Just because we believe they're true doesn't mean you're automatically going to be a Christian. But there is extensive, objective, historical evidence that Jesus lived and did the things recorded in the Christian Bible. Once again, to believe that this person lived and did these things doesn't mean that you believe in God or that you're a Christian. It's perfectly okay to keep exploring. You're simply being intellectually honest. To be a Christian requires much more, but I don't think that it takes less than agreement with reality and true history. And some belief systems want you to believe just regardless of the facts. No! Christianity is based on tangible, discoverable evidence. And that's what I want you to look at. Now, how do we know what we do about Jesus from the historical texts about him? Now, history about him in what we know as the New Testament Gospels, the reason that we believe it is everything about them tells us that it was written within the lifetime of those who knew him, by people who were eyewitnesses of the events. This is incredibly important. He wasn't a religious leader that people wrote stuff down about hundreds of years after he died. No, no, no. They wrote it down. They were people that lived with him, walked with him, talked to him. They experienced life with him. They're not fanciful stories made up hundreds of years after his death. You see, based on manuscript datings, we have fragments from the 100s, actual pieces of papyrus that were written during the time that some of the disciples were probably still alive. And we have complete and thousands of pages of manuscripts from not much later. But that's not all. This is kind of interesting, and and chances are you've probably heard some of this other stuff before, but you may not have heard some of what I'm going to tell you in just a few minutes. I was teaching a class on, I can't even remember what it was, and um, probably I can't remember because I remember I was sort of scrambling for topics to uh, discuss next, and so what I did is I passed out three by five cards, and I said to people, I said, well, write down questions that you have about the Christian faith. And one that I found particularly interesting interesting is a person said, um, are there, is there other evidence about the life of Jesus outside of the Bible? And I said, oh yes there is, and this is very interesting. And so let me share with you now historical comments about him from other people that lived during the first two centuries after his death. Now this includes a man named Pliny the Younger. He was actually a Roman governor. Josephus, many people have heard of him. 
a uh, Jewish historian, Tacitus, who was a Roman historian. There are various Roman leaders that wrote about him, Christian writers, and very interesting critics of Christianity who do not believe it as a faith, but in their writings talk about Jesus. And this makes a very interesting um, uh, evidential group, if, if you will. And so let's, let's look at some of them now. First of all, Josephus. Josephus is really interesting. He was a Roman historian. He lived from 37 AD to 101 AD. In other words, he was born just shortly after Jesus died. Now, he lived during the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. He was there. He wrote about it. Um, he, he was a very careful researcher, and when he retired then to Rome, he was Jewish, but he had a Roman patron, and he, when he retired in Rome, he then wrote um, his histories for a Roman audience. He was not a particularly um, observant Jew, but he was, he was very... Um, uh, very careful in what he did, and he definitely did not claim to be a Christian, but here's what he wrote about Jesus. He said, about this time there lived Jesus, a wise man, if indeed one ought to call him a man, for he was one who wrought, su- who wrought surprising feats and was a teacher of such people as accept the truth gladly. He won over many Jews and many of the Greeks. He was the Christ. When Pilate, upon hearing him accused by men of the highest standing amongst us, had condemned him to be crucified, those who had in the first place come to love him did not give up their affection for him. On the third day he appeared to them, restored to life. For the prophets of God had prophesied these and countless other marvelous things about him. And the tribe of Christians, so called after him, has still to this day not disappeared. Now, there's some debate on this passage because it sounds like, oh my goodness, that's pretty heavy-duty stuff about Jesus. But as I, I did research, there's really no conclusive evidence that confirms that he didn't say the things that are recorded above. Some people who have an anti-supernatural bias want to say, well, well, he couldn't have said he was really the Christ, and he, he just couldn't have said that he, he appeared on the third day and all that. Well, why not? Why do you trust part of his saying and not part of the rest? But I think you can just take it as this is what he he discovered people were saying about Jesus. He believed they were credible, and he wrote it down in his antiquities. And even though if you disregard some of the comments that he made, it's still really good historical verification that the man named Jesus lived and died and that his life and death were the start of the Christian faith. So we have Josephus. Then Tacitus, a Roman historian. He lived from AD 56 to 117. He was also a senator um, in in the Roman government. And in his histories of Tacitus, this is highly regarded as as a very good one, uh, a very good history of the ancient world. That's where we get a lot of our what we know about Rome. When he was reporting on the Emperor Nero's decision to blame the Christians for the fire that had destroyed Rome in 64 AD, here's what he writes. He says, Nero fastened the guilt on a class hated for their abominations, called Christians by the populace. Christus, from whom the name has its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of Pontius Pilate, and a most mischievous superstition, thus checked for the moment, again broke out, not only in Judea, but the first source of the evil, but even in Rome. So here he's basically confirming many of the the facts about the early Christian church. Now, one thing that's really kind of interesting to note also, we know when Tacitus wrote, we know when there was the fire in Rome, we know when Nero lived. We also know that the Apostle Paul was killed in this persecution, which helps us date his writings. Um, He wrote... um, this was written in 64 AD. Shortly after that, history tells us that Paul was killed by Nero. So this, as you, if you go backwards, Acts was written before that. And then, of course, Luke was written before Acts because Luke just says, 
when he opens up with Acts, he said, the former letter that I wrote to you, so you see this helps us date the Gospel of Luke really quite early. Some people date the Gospels to hundreds of years later, and here if we actually compare it with secular history, we can see that that's, that's incorrect. Now again, he doesn't have a terribly positive view about the Christians, but he does give us evidence of the fact of Jesus' death and of the existence of the Christian church in Rome. Now, three more emperors of Rome during the second century again talked about the Christians. Uh, Trajan, one historian, this is, I'm quoting what he said, and I quote, Trajan, Hadrian, and Marcus Aurelius, they all deal with the persecution of Christians. Trajan was replying to Pliny's letter telling him that the Christians were, quote, not to be hunted out, and if the accused Christian would sacrifice to the gods, they were to be acquitted. Let me give you a little backstory on this quote. It's kind of interesting. There was a man named Pliny, and I believe he was governor Bithynia. And there were a lot of Christians that lived in his his area and, and he really felt bad because they were being persecuted and they were supposed to kill him and all this kind of stuff because theoretically they were um, you know enemies of the state and all that. But he writes to the emperor and he says, you know, I, I, you know, they're really good people. And, and they don't do anything wrong. And, um, you know, Trajan just replies to him and says, just you basically leave them alone. <laughs> you know, if they don't make a fuss, you know, don't persecute them. Because Pliny's kind of saying, you know, they'd be killing off half my city and they're good citizens and stuff. But uh, we do have their extensive um, correspondence and, it, and it's really kind of interesting. Uh, Hadrian also, who lived, uh, the Emperor Hadrian, in 122 to 23, he had to write numerous letters about how to handle accusations against Christians. And Marcus Aurelius, who is known as a the philosopher emperor, uh, he lived in 161 to 180, and just his writing about it, of course, tells us that the Christians were growing and that he would even you know, lower himself to notice it. But it's kind of interesting. He looked at them philosophically rather than just the legal issues. And he didn't think that they laid down their lives nobly or for the right reasons. He he thought they just did it out of sheer opposition and histrionic display. From his perspective, all the Christians had to do was go through the motions of sacrificing and they would escape death. Their deaths must have seemed unnecessary and fanatical to him. You see, all the Christians had to do was they had to offer a little sacrifice to the emperor and say, you know, that the emperor is Lord. But we know they couldn't do that. And because of that, that's why they were killed. And Marcus Aurelius, who he didn't have a very high view of the quote-unquote gods, he thought, you know, what? why are they doing that? You know, none of them really exist. And what's, you know, potato, potato, what's it matter? Well, it matters if you believe that you serve the one true God. But again, in Marcus Aurelius' writings, we see that the Christians were living true to their faith at that time. Now then, Christians also wrote extensively at this time, and one of them was Polycarp. Now, he's really interesting. He was a disciple of the Apostle John, and he was martyred in one between 155 to 167. We're, we're not sure exactly when he, when he was 87 years old. Now, it's really interesting because he his life is a direct link to one of Jesus' disciples, the Apostle John. And his writings are really fun to read. I don't have tons of quotes here because of time, but in different ones he'll talk about how, yeah, you know, we'd sit around with John, and then John would tell us about Jesus. You know, we went fishing on this day, and we did this and that. And I just think, yeah, what great stories he must have heard. And in his writings, though, he um, he repeats an early agreed core of beliefs. And this is something he wrote a letter to the Philippians and he said, this is what he says to them. He was a pastor and a leader in the church. And he said, I have greatly rejoiced with you in our Lord Jesus Christ because you followed the example of true love as, dispa- as displayed by God. And it brings forth fruit to our Lord Jesus Christ, who for our sins suffered even unto death, but whom God raised from the dead, having loosened the bands of the grave. But may the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ himself, who is the Son of God, and our everlasting High Priest, build you up in faith and truth, and in all meekness, gentleness, patience, long-suffering, forbearance, 
and purity. And you see so much in this. Again, you see how this was a man who was trained by one of Jesus' disciples, the disciple Jesus loved, the disciple that in many ways was closest to him. And this is what he is passing on to the church, and we can see this is what the early church taught. It wasn't something that developed over hundreds of years and all this kind of stuff. No, from the earliest days, this was what it taught. Now, there were there are lots more testimonies of the early church writers as they talk about the deity of Jesus. Ignatius, uh, he was actually a disciple of Polycarp. This is what he wrote during around 108 um, AD. He said, In very truth, respect with respect to our Lord Jesus Christ, that he was the Son of God, the firstborn of every creature, God the Word, the only begotten Son, and was of the seed of David according to the flesh, by the Virgin Mary, was baptized by John, that all righteousness might be fulfilled by him, that he lived a life of holiness without sin, and was truly under Pontius Pilate and Herod the Tetrarch, nailed to the cross for us in his flesh. Now these early records are really important because some people say that the idea that Jesus was God and Savior was a mythology that developed over hundreds of years after Jesus' life. And that simply is not true in the case of Jesus. Now it is in the lives of some historical figures. Any study of Buddhism will tell you that he was not considered a god during his life. He said he was not a god and many people today still don't think he is, but the idea of his divinity has developed. And so they say that's what it was like for, with Jesus. No. From the very start, Jesus himself claimed to be God, and all of these writings from the early church also verified it. In contrast, of course, Polycarp knew John, one of Jesus' disciples, and he was repeating then to Ignatius what he had learned. And this isn't the only chain of transmission. We have many, many more in church history. This direct testimony was from the earliest days, from the people who lived with Jesus, who saw him die. They also saw him come back from the dead and believe that he was God. That Jesus is God and Savior is not a belief developed hundreds of years after the historically verified life of Jesus, but it was described by witnesses of it who passed it on to others. Now, not only, and this this one's really kind of fun to read, uh, well, I guess you could call it fun, whatever. Anyway, um, not only do we have friendly accounts, we have an enemy of the faith um, who records some really negative stuff, but it verifies in kind of a roundabout way some of the early beliefs. This is a man named Celsius, and I'm quoting what a gentleman named uh, Malcolm Nicholson wrote about him. He said around 77 to 180 AD, Celsius wrote something that he called the true word. Now this was an attack on Christianity, and parts of it, we don't have his original entire writing, but parts of it are preserved in quotations that a theologian named Origen wrote in his work, Contra Celsium. And that just means against Celsium. Now, he wrote that in the mid-3rd century. Now, as far as we know, this was the first time when Celsius rose that an entire pagan work was devoted to attacking Christianity rather than just passing references in, in other things. Now, he knew more about Christianity than any other pagan writer. He was the first to refer to the founder of Christianity by his name, Jesus, rather than Christ, which is a title. He knew many details which Christians believed about the life of Jesus. He obviously studied it in, in quite a bit of detail. He knew about his virgin birth, the visit of the Magi, the massacre of the innocents, his baptism by John, his disciples, his miracles, his betrayal, his crucifixion, his resurrection. He talks about all of them, but he then uses these facts to attack them and he puts his own spin on them and his own reasons why they happen. He reasoned that if Christians worship Jesus, they couldn't be true monotheists. He understood that he, if he could discredit Jesus, 
that he would discredit all of Christianity. So, he was the one that came up with the idea that the virgin birth was made up, and Jesus' real father was a Roman called Panthera. Now, this has filtered down into goofy stuff, you know, through the centuries, but that's where it came from. It came from this guy named Celsius. He said there were no reliable witnesses to the dove descending at Jesus' baptism. I don't know why he didn't think that, but that's what he said. And that Jesus' miracles, he said they happened. Well, obviously they happened. You know, there was so much evidence of them. But he said it was just all all magic. You know, they happened, but it was magic. <laughs> now, why magic's more credible than believing God did it. But anyway, that's what he said. And he dismissed the resurrection as a hallucination and wishful thinking. Again, he didn't say it didn't happen, but he said it's a hallucination and wishful thinking, which again is something that is repeated today. And though he didn't agree with the Christian belief system, his words again show the core of beliefs was based on real events. He couldn't deny them. And by his very writings, he shows that it was a belief system well known enough to be worthy of a scholarly attack very early in the history of the church. Now, let's summarize some of the facts about the historical Jesus. Based on the repeated early witness about Jesus, both for and against him, they are unanimous on the core events of his life, his good deeds, his miracles, his death and resurrection. They are all again unanimous that these things really did happen. Now, whether you believe the Bible is a divinely inspired document or not, that it, you do need to believe, and specifically the New Testament, that it is a credible historical source for the life of a historically verified Jesus of Nazareth. Regardless of who you attribute them to, whether God or other sources, why you think they happened, magic or sorcery or some other reason, the historical record shows his miracles did take place. His death and resurrection are historical facts. Now, not only the historical record of Jesus' life, but it's interesting to look at the life of his followers. They were so changed by the reality of his life, the belief that he was God and the source of forgiveness of sins and eternal life. They also believed he fulfilled all the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. Now, this is really significant. Because of that belief, they completely abandoned their previous Jewish system of sacrifice and way of worshiping God. Now, this was an extraordinary happening. Thousands of years of persecution from Egypt through the Babylonian captivity to wars of the Maccabees to their current occupation by Rome, all of these things, all of these dreadful situations, exile and return and um, it being under the thumb of conquerors, none of them could destroy their previous Jewish system of worship. And yet, after the resurrection of Jesus within a few months, everything changed. Because of Jesus, his followers declared he was the fulfillment of all the religious history that had gone before, and that by his resurrection, he validated all his claims and showed that he was the only way to God. To them, the Jewish religious observations were fulfilled. They were the foundation, and the Christian church was now born. But historical acknowledgement that just Jesus existed, it's really not enough. Since the reality of a person called Jesus is verified historically, other religions can't and don't try to deny that he existed, but they have a vastly different way than Christianity does for how they explain him. Now, you really need to understand these differences because salvation in Jesus is only possible if you know the real Jesus, not simply someone with the same name. Throughout the ages, like Celsius, many acknowledge Jesus lived, but they attempt to redefine him and his life. But now, let's now look then at these other religions and how they 
to find Jesus. Now, again, please look at my other podcasts and videos where I go into detail on each one of these different ones. I'm just going to just go over them really quickly in a few minutes. But again, the links are on the www.bible805 site. I do go into much, much, much more detail um, in the other podcasts, but let's quickly go over this. First of all, for the Eastern religions and New Age religions, in Hinduism, they view Jesus as a teacher, a guru, an avatar, in other words, an incarnation of Vishnu. He is the son of God. They'll agree to that, but they say we all are. And he's really not that much different than us, but he is more enlightened. They do not believe that his death atoned for sins, and they do not believe that he rose from the dead. In Buddhism, Jesus is not really part of the historic Buddhist worldview. Now, Buddhists in the West today generally view him as an enlightened teacher, while Buddhists in Asia believe Jesus was an avatar or Bohidavista. I'm sorry, I don't say that right. But um, anyway, he wasn't God. And in New Age beliefs of various kinds, Jesus is seen as a good teacher, but he's seen as the God in all of us, that he had God in him as we all have God in us. Now, all of them, though, they're honest in that they will say there's no historical basis for what they believe. Um, It's their own, and what they believe about Jesus is what they've decided to believe about Jesus. In each of these types of religion, individuals determine their own truth. There is not necessarily an overarching thing that you must believe to be part of the religion. No, you know, whatever is right for you, your truth is your truth, my truth is my truth. Now, Islam, though, is very, very different. They believe that Jesus is not the prophet, that he is a prophet, but not the prophet. Jesus, who they call Isa in Arabic, they don't believe he is God or the Son of God. His virgin birth is likened to Adam's creation. He was sinless, a worker of miracles, and one of the most respected prophets sent by Allah. They do not believe, though, that Jesus was crucified or resurrected. They believe that was a hoax. But, interestingly enough, they believe that Jesus, not Muhammad, will return to play a special role before the future Judgment Day, perhaps turning Christians to Islam. Now, there are, uh, on my more complete lessons on this, I have the exact passages from the Quran that support all of the beliefs that I just shared with you. Now, let me give you a few historical comments on Islam. Muhammad lived actually from 570 to 632 AD. Now, a lot of times people are surprised at this if they really don't know their religious history because it's easy to assume that Muhammad lived like when Buddha and some of those people did a long time, you know, like in Old Testament times. But no, he lived 500, close to 600 years after the time of Christ. He was born into a very polytheistic culture. He was exposed to monotheism and Christianity, but really not in depth on any of them. He was also illiterate. He didn't read. He didn't study these different things. And though, of course, um, Muslims believe that what's in the Quran is divinely inspired, there is, and we cannot debate that, what they believe, they believe on that. However, we can very respectfully and kindly point out that there is absolutely no historical basis whatsoever about the assertions about Jesus in the Quran. We are not talking about the same Jesus that the Quran talks about. They have a version that they believe was was given to Muhammad supernaturally, but this does not have anything to do with the historical Jesus. To describe Jesus as a prophet equal to other prophets is not enough. Christians believe Jesus is the eternally existing Son of God who came to earth and took on a body and who was crucified, buried, and rose again. Now, then the Mormon Church, uh, they call themselves a Christian religion. I uh, would propose very strongly, and again, on my uh, videos on on it, on other things that you can access through the Bible 805 site. I go into much more detail on this, but they have, they're not, um, I don't consider them, and neither do most uh, Christian scholars, a Christian church because they do not believe 
what the Bible says about Jesus. Now, Joseph Smith, here are some of the things that he and his followers, uh, his followers wrote based on what he taught them. He was a founder of the Mormon Church. And I quote, um, God the Father is a perfected, glorified, holy man, an immortal personage, and Christ was born into the world as the literal son of this holy being. He was born in the same personal, real, and literal sense that any mortal son is born to a mortal father. There is nothing figurative about his paternity. He was begotten, conceived, and born in the normal and natural course of events. The appointment of Jesus, and so basically they believe that he was born just like any other person, um, uh, that uh, God the Father is an ascended, glorified being, but not the, the first over all God. He is of our world, but not necessarily of all the other worlds. And so Jesus was not really in, in some ways anything special, except um, he was appointed to be the savior of this particular world. However, they go on to say the appointment of Jesus to be savior of the world was contested by one of the other sons of God. He was called Lucifer, son of the morning, haughty, ambitious, and covetous of power and glory. This spirit brother of Jesus desperately tried to become the savior of mankind. Which, of course, we do not believe at all. Uh, the Christian Church believes that Satan is a created being. Um, he is not the spirit brother of Jesus. He is a creation of Jesus. He is not eternally existing. Mormons also believe that if you're a good Mormon, you too can have your own world, just like Jesus did. Uh, one of their sayings is, as man is, God once was. As God is, man may become. Mormons do not deny the person of Jesus, but like other non-Christian religions, they give biblical facts a totally different meaning. And some opinions, um, also some of the opinions about Jesus come from the Book of Mormon. This is a document with absolutely no historical or factual verification. The Mormons have tried for many, many years to find uh, geographical evidence or textual evidence or all kinds of things and they simply cannot find it because it is a work of fiction uh, put together by Joseph Smith. Their Jesus was someone humanly conceived, the spirit brother of Lucifer. He was a preacher in the Book of Mormon to the Indians of North America. All of these things he is absolutely not the historical Jesus of the Bible. In commenting on all of these views of various religions, all of them completely ignore history and the historical record of what Jesus said about himself. He claimed to be God. He forgave sins. He said he was, he was one with God the Father. He stated that he and he alone was the only way to God. And he proved his words were true by his historical death burial and resurrection. Here is, um, this is uh, came from the tentmaker.org site, but they don't know who exactly wrote it, but it's a really good summary of other religions in contrast to Jesus, where it says, quote, Buddha never claimed to be God. Moses never claimed to be Jehovah. Muhammad never claimed to be Allah. Yet Jesus Christ claimed to be the true and living God. Buddha simply said, I am a teacher in search of the truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. Confucius said, I never claimed to be holy. Jesus said, who convicts me of sin? Muhammad said, unless God throws his cloak of mercy over me, I have no hope. Jesus said, unless you believe in me, you will die in your sins. And of course, C.S. Lewis, many of you have heard this saying, but it is quite worth repeating where he describes Jesus in this way. He says, A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. 
He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now, why is it that there's all these different views? Well, the Bible warned us this would happen. In 2 Corinthians 11, 3 and 4, it says, the Apostle Paul says, But I'm afraid, just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. For such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. We are warned there will always be false Jesuses preached, and so we must be ready. Now, it's kind of interesting. This warning was written to the Christian, to the Corinthian church, and it was a church that had all kinds of moral challenges. And obviously, the biblical Jesus, the true biblical Jesus, can be really demanding. And it can be very tempting to worship one who allows us to just live as we want to. If we can kind of believe whatever we want to about Jesus, then that means we can pick and choose on his commandments. But not if we believe he is who he says he is. So, what are we to do? Always clarify which Jesus you are talking about. Especially with groups such as Mormons and other cults who use his name, but they're not talking about the biblical Jesus. You must clarify that. It's extremely important. Now, our duty is to know the truth and to be able to share it with gentleness and respect. For ourselves, be sure you know the real Jesus. And how do you know him? You get to know him in his word. The entire Bible talks about him. And again, www.bible805.com has reading plans, commentary, lessons, and more that will help you do that. The more you know his word, the better you will know him. Beyond behavior, we need to know who the real Jesus is and why we believe what we believe for those dark nights of our soul. We need to know who we've believed in and remind ourselves. Because, you know, sometimes everybody has doubts. Everybody has fears. Everybody will face death. People face the death of loved ones. And I find personally, and one of the reasons why I'm sharing this with you, that the truth of history helps. But also beyond behavior, we need to know, we again, the real Jesus for these dark nights of our soul. We have times of doubt when life is hard. And we need to know not just what we believe, not just the checklist of this and that and the other, but who we believe. For me, when circumstances, people, even church people, disappoint and sometimes and you've probably all been through this many of you sometimes your greatest disappointments can come with people in the church but they aren't Jesus only Jesus is Jesus for me I find comfort in the facts of history that first of all I learn from the Bible and then I look at all these other things that I've researched so carefully and I go over them I remind myself Jesus really did live he did all the things that history says he did. He was kind. He was loving. Someone said to me a long time ago, and I've never forgotten this. I thought it was so helpful where they said, you know, when you think that, that God's mean or he, he's going to do something icky to you or whatever, think about Jesus. Would he ever have been mean to a little child? Did he ever slap somebody around? Did he ever, you know, was he ever cruel to anyone? And of course he wasn't. And the scriptures tell us again and again and again that Jesus is God in human form. So that really helps me. And I remind myself that not only did he die and rise again, but someday I will see him face to face. I then remind myself what the Bible says about this historical Jesus. And though history is a comfort, that Jesus, Jesus is not just confined to history, but at a point in time, the eternal God broke 
into history as he tells us in that wonderful passage. I like to think about this when I'm thinking about Jesus, where it says in John 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In all eternity, Jesus and God, the Holy Spirit, were there together. But then there came a point in real history where the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And I remind myself why he came. He came, as John 3.16 tells us, because he loved the world, God loved the world so much, that he gave his one and only Son, so that anyone who believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God didn't send his Son into the world to condemn it, but to save it. So back to our most important question. Who do you say Jesus is? Who is Jesus to you? If you're not a follower of him, explore it further. The book A Case for Christ by Lee Strobel is really good. He was a skeptic, and he also happened to be a crime reporter, and he took two years to explore all the different things that he had heard and that Christians say about Jesus. And it's it's really a good book to read. So if you're serious about exploring the faith, check that book out. There Again, there's many more resources on Bible805.com. Read the Bible. Check out the primary document about his life for yourself. Read it objectively. Read it. Just read what it says and then make up your own mind. But if you're a follower of the true Jesus, does your life reflect him? Of course, we all have a long way to go, but are we even trying Or is our life one excuse after another on how we'll do this or that for the Lord? Or try to be more like Him when we get older? Or more financially stable? Or we don't have all these other things going on that are going on now? We all have all kinds of excuses. But no matter where you are in your faith journey, how old or young you are, if you truly believe Jesus is the Son of God who died for your sins and freely gives you a glorious eternity with Him, Now is the time to live out what you believe about Jesus. That's all for now. Please check out the notes from this lesson. They're in downloadable PDF format and the other materials that are on the www.bible805.com site. Until next time, I'm Yvonne Pran, your fellow pilgrim, writer, and teacher for Jesus. And I'd like to close with this benediction. May you know the invitation of God to move from confusion to clarity, from wandering to rest, from loneliness to knowing you are loved, from turmoil to peace, from wherever you are on your spiritual journey, to a growing knowledge of God's Word and in your personal relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.